Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today. Welcome to First Christian Church. To everybody that's here in the West Auditorium, it's really good to see you. I just have come from checking out what's happening in the East Auditorium to everybody there. I'm very glad you're with us as well. And of course, everybody online and at Lovington. Welcome to First Christian Church this morning. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 11, the very front of the book, okay? Genesis chapter 11, or maybe on your smartphone. We are going to read an interesting passage of Scripture from there today, and I invite you to follow along in just a minute. Before we get to that, let me introduce myself. Hello. My name is Wayne Kent, and apparently I'm the lead pastor at First Christian Church, though for some of you, you may never have seen me before. And, uh, or some of you had to say, oh, that guy looks somewhat familiar. Who was he again? Well, at least that's how it feels because it's, as you may know, it's been 14 weekends since I was last in the pulpit here at First Christian Church. And some of you may be asking, where have you been? Have you been ill? Did you get COVID? Yeah, I did get COVID as a matter of fact, but that's a completely different matter. Um, no, I've been gone because our congregation... Uh, asks pastoral staff to take a sabbatical study break from regular ministry duties about every five years. We want our pastors to be at the top of their game professionally and personally and spiritually. And because we have an ever-changing ministry setting, we need our staff to be growing and learning and developing. And so on your behalf, the elders challenged me to take some time to focus my study over the last 13 weeks on the next years of our ministry life together. It's not time off per se, more so it's rather than taking the hours that you normally focus on this and your responsibilities at work, focus on this instead and we'll we'll cover your regular work duties. And so plan for your future ministry, plan for the church's future ministry. And so in my case, it was a little longer than five years. It was actually six and a half years ago that I took my last sabbatical uh, back in the winter in February of 2014. So in the months ahead, you'll learn more of my studies and what I believe is some prayerful insights about our mutual congregational life and mission and some things that I've done a massive amount of of reading and writing, and you'll hear about that in the days ahead. But before we get to that, I want to say thank you to uh, all of you in the congregation for supplying me with the resources that I needed for some study time. Additionally, I want to thank the the, uh, members of staff who stepped up and took on my responsibilities, particularly those who paid special attention to what was taking place in the pulpit. Um, Each weekend, Leslie and I were participating online and watching what came along, and each preacher absolutely excelled. And would you thank them for their great work in that regard? But But it really is good to be back in my place, if you will, and I'll look forward to spending time with you in the months ahead telling you the things I've learned. But for today, this weekend is the um, weekend that usually the last weekend of November or thereabouts, uh, congregations all across the world step into what's known as Advent. It's no different for us. Advent is that time of waiting. It's for expecting. We anticipate the celebration of God's, uh, where we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus came some 2,000 years ago. And I, I think these words best describe our understanding. These are the words that we're going to sing in just a few minutes. They go like this. In the darkness you were waiting. We were waiting, pardon me. And <laughs> Let me tell you. Has 2020 been a year of darkness? Absolutely, right? In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running. And you, when Jesus came, of course we have to say there was mercy in his eyes. Why did he come? He came to fulfill 
the law and the prophets, the things that have been predicted about his arrival years, centuries before he showed up. And how did he came? To a virgin came the word, came Jesus, from a throne of endless glory. This is God coming in the flesh from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. It's a remarkable story. It's a remarkable reality. It is a remarkable history. And in light of Jesus' first coming, Christians now say during Advent, we're going to look for Jesus' second coming in the days ahead. And my observation will be this. If 2020 is an indication of our globe's need for a Savior, <laughs> then we need him soon, really soon. At the very least, we need the expected glory of God to show up in the most unexpected places of need in our lives. And so, throughout our time today, and in the coming weeks as we walk our way through this sermon series, I'm going to talk with you about how we can expect the unexpected. But before we get to that, or in light of that, leading up to that, first a story, and then some scripture. A week ago, last Wednesday, November 11th, officers from the, this is, the, this is their title, the Utah Department of Public Safety's Aero Bureau. Hear it again. The Utah Department of Public Safety's Aero Bureau. They were helicopter pilots. All right? They were flying in southeastern Utah. Do you know this story? On board, they had some biologists, and their project was to count bighorn sheep that might have been in the area, doing a census count. And as they're flying along, one of the biologists, according to uh, the pilot, Brett Hutchins says, one of the biologists spotted it, and we just happened to fly directly over the top of it. And he's like, the biologist, biologist goes, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Whoa, turn around. There's something there. We need to go back and see what it is. There's this thing back there. They turned the helicopter around, and there it was, in the middle of the red rock, a shiny silver metal thing, a monolith. When I first saw this story on the Thursday or Friday after this, I thought it was what they call clickbait. But no, this has really happened. This metal object sticking up out of the red desert dirt, 10 to 12 feet high. It was obviously not randomly dropped to the ground, but rather it looked like it had been planted, the pilot says to CNN. Now, can you imagine the scene? You're flying along and there's something silvery down there that you say has never been there before? Or can you imagine, they actually landed the helicopter and can you imagine being one of the ones who has volunteered to go check out what it is? Hmm. Would you wonder if you get too close, you're gonna end up meeting some alien and suddenly be whisked away to some far off planet? As a matter of fact, the story is even more freaky just in the last 24 to 48 hours. So various people, since this has been made known, they have taken these all-terrain vehicles. It's very hard to get to. They've got there and they've seen it. It's actually something that's bolted to the, to the bedrock, okay? But it disappeared Friday night within the last 48 hours. It took off. I think that's what it did. Don't you? Some alien planted it there. I, I would be like this. If I'm one of the crew that's getting out of the helicopter to go check it out, I'm expecting to be overtaken by some weird thing that God may have created on some far universe, some far away, and has showed up here. Make you, and then it's disappeared literally Friday night. 
my mind races about the whole prospect. Talk about the unexpected. Talk about if you're going to hike into that and you didn't know it was there, finding the unexpected in your journey. And truth be told, that's the story of 2020. All the stuff, I would say all the junk we've experienced this year. COVID. Ugh. I'm over it. Are you over it? I'm totally over with it. I've had it up to here and beyond. COVID. We've had tumultuous debates about race and socialism and capitalism. We've had an election cycle that I would say the only thing that's response to the election cycle is anger and angst, regardless of whether or not you're on the right or the left. We have now the holidays of the past few days and the weeks in front of us in which authorities are saying, hey, very, very little travel, please. Talk about an unexpected journey called 2020. It almost feels like, man, we've been walking through the desert and there's this thing in front of us and we don't even know what it is. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the story of a man from Scripture who took a journey, literally walking through a desert, and he discovered far more than a metal monolith coming up out of the dirt. He discovered the unexpected. He discovered God. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 11 with me, beginning in verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Noah, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While the father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nohar both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nohar's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless. She was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. You're going, this is a lot of names, Wayne, and there's a lot of family relationships. What's going out? Well, here it is right here. They set out from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you, if you follow me, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what did Abram do? He went as the Lord had told him and Lot, his nephew, went with him. He was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people, the servants, the slaves they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So they get to the land of Canaan. He traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram a second time and says, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then he set out and continued toward the Negev. So you've got all these people traveling. What's it all about? You may know that this is the story of Abram, later known as Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And we've chatted about this story in the past. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting side note that we don't have a lot of time to deal with today, but it's interesting to me. 
I've always wondered about Abram, Abraham's father, Terah. Could he have been the father of the nation? After all, it was Terah, we read in chapter 11, verse 31. It's Terah who starts the journey. But for some reason or other, he goes halfway and then says, I'm done. I'm stopping right here. And so then the responsibility of founding the nation falls to his son, Abram, Abraham. And as Abram carries on the journey, the most unexpected moment comes along. God has this profound statement about Abraham's willingness to follow. Because God says to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed by you. Now, I'm quite certain that Abram didn't expect that. And I suspect he wondered how it would all come true. Let's remember, he's 75 years old when this takes place. And up to that point in his life, he had no heir, no children. Surely he wondered, yeah, right, if I follow God, I'm going to start having babies? Are you kidding me? At 75, he certainly didn't expect his wife to show up expecting. Now, you might be familiar with that um, the series about pre- the book series about pregnancy that do that play on words about expecting and expecting uh, what to expect when you're expecting. I, I read the books or read the book when when Leslie was expecting our first child. We read the book together, and then she went on to have another baby, and so I read it read it again. And so, what to expect when you're expecting? But for us as a young couple. We were in our late 20s when baby one was born, our early 30s when baby two was born. As a young couple in our late 20s and early 30s, expecting a baby was sort of expected, right? But Abram and Sarai, they are not expecting to be expecting. They're not expecting a baby. They were not expecting to birth a nation childbirthing was long past. Menopause was in the rearview mirror. That was, I mean, that was way back there, Sarai would say. But they didn't know what was coming in the days ahead. I'm not certain that you and I know that all, all that's coming our way in the days ahead. And let me tell you, no, Leslie is not expecting, we're not expecting to be expecting. I do know this. That if 2020 is a pattern of some extreme moments yet to come, then I would say this. The unexpected could be expected in the days ahead. Does that make sense? And in the unexpected, I suppose even in the unwanted, here's what I believe that like Abraham discovered, God's going to show up with a very, very bold pronouncement. See, Abram did become Abraham. And he did father a nation. And in Genesis 12, when God makes this pronouncement, at 75 years of age, it all came to, pla- it all came to pass. It was 25 years. Now, he was 100 years old when Isaac came along, his son. Yet Abraham kept following God for those 25 years. The journey carried on and on and on. In fact, years later, I mean, thousands of years later, when we get to the New Testament... And the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on all the people of the history of the Jewish nation who were really kind of important and potent along the way. 
we find out, as he, the writer of Hebrews is describing Abraham, we find out how it is that this birth of a nation came through Abraham. The writer says, it happened because of Abraham's faith. It was Abraham's willingness in the long run to trust God. We read this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, when he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. How did he do that? By faith, by trusting that God had a plan. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And so from this one man came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. What's the main idea there? Thousands of years later, after Abraham's life, Hebrews says, oh, I get it. It was faith. Abraham trusted God. Now, he had to wait a long time to experience God's promise. Somehow, he realized that God's promise was based on heaven's faithfulness. He says, God has proven faithful in the past, and that track record, it warrants expecting the unexpected from God in the future. Your story of the last few months has been the story of a journey. (laughs) It's taken all of us to a place that we didn't know where we were gonna go. I mean, who would have ever thought that our church would look like it looks like today? Sort of half full maybe, no, maybe not even that. And we got, fair enough, we got lots of people online and we're doing this. I mean, was that even, I'll tell you in January, that, that was not in my understanding of what we would face in 2020. We didn't know where we were going at that point. That's certainly been the story of our church, it's been the story of our home, it's been the story of, our, of, of, of your family, and I'll be quite candid. You're like me. You're making it up every day to say, okay, I'm, how am I, I don't know how I'm doing this today, but I guess we'll take it on and see what it looks like. Because each day brings some new, unforeseen, never experienced challenges. But I do, I do know this, that when it comes to your track record or my track record with God, when it comes to your historical experience with God's faithfulness, all that validates God's trustworthiness of the past. And from that validation, we can say, God will prove faithful in the future. Isn't it true that God has proved faithful to you in the past? And if God has proven faithful to you in the past, you have great reason to expect that God will prove faithful in the future when it comes to things like a successful marriage. God will prove faithful in the questions you have about your career. You know what? God is going to prove faithful to you when it comes to your children and your concern about how they're living, whether they be this tall or whether they be 45 years old. God's going to prove faithful in that. God will prove faithful in the uncertainty of your health. God will prove faithful in the demands of your future. Why? You have a track record of that in the past, and based on that, you can move forward into the future. Now, I should note, though, when it comes to Abraham, that even as he trusted God in the long run, he was definitely like you and me. There were moments when life events challenged his willingness to trust. Somewhere along the journey, somewhere between 75 and 100 years of age, there was a period of time when he lost sight of God's faithfulness. He got confused. I mean, after all, waiting for 25 years to see God's promise, that is a long time, right? There's a disturbing story there in those years when 
Abraham and his wife Sarah, they came to an agreement, an unusual agreement. They've been given this promise they're supposed to have children, it's not happening, and so here's what they just, they plotted together, if you will, came up with this idea. They'd get one of Sarah's servants, if you will, an employee. They'd get this woman, young woman, a teenager, early 20s maybe, to become a surrogate mother. Now, of course, in those days, there wasn't a local clinic where a couple could go and privately, so to speak, create a baby in a test tube that could be planted in a woman. No, there was nothing like that. In that day, bringing a surrogate mother into the story involved a bed and some sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. And the result was that Abraham forced God's hand. We'll examine more of that story next week with a focus on the unexpected things that came in the life of that woman, Hagar, and the son that came along, Ishmael. But in a nutshell, from Abraham's perspective, who we're looking at today, when Abraham forced God's hand, he introduced tremendous struggle into his family's story, into their history. And at that moment, he failed. I don't like that he failed, but I kind of do like that he failed. Here's why. Because suddenly he's like you and he's like me. We, we choose to walk with God, but then there are these moments when we just wonder, is this really going to work? Have I got another 25 years in me yet to kind of wait for God's promise? Is that how long it's going to be for God's, I mean, is that really the waiting period for God's promises to come into play? Really? 25 years, God? Are you kidding me? What are you going to do with that period of time? There's this promise deep down within you, deep in your gut, that God is, God is somehow confirmed in you. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is the way in which God is going to do some really cool stuff for you. But you sometimes surely wish you could force heaven's hand on it. And we try to convince ourselves, man, I wish if God would just not hold his cards so close to the chest, then... Surely if I force God's hand, it's not going to introduce struggle into our lives. So what are you going to do when you're waiting and waiting and waiting? Well, here's the answer. Wait for it. Here's the answer. Wait for it. That's the answer. Wait for it. When it seems that God's promise in our lives is a really long way off, what do we do? We trust. We honor God's faithfulness. We wait for it. See, in waiting for God's promises to show up in our lives, we are reminded of what promises have already come to us. There are many. There is that moment when, man, God really showed up in this situation. God really showed up in that. And based on that, we were reminded, man, there are a lot of things that God promised that have already come to play. For example, here's a big one. Jesus Christ. Jesus came. See, years after Abraham's story had resulted in a full Jewish nation with millions of people, the Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, reminds us this, that God, in, because of Jesus Christ, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of heaven's story. You know what that story is? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you think about the cool things that God has already done in your life, you know what the biggest is? There's the fact that Jesus Christ is within you. And since we already have Christ within us, friends, since we've already chosen to follow, then whether or not all the promises that you 
you sense they're coming, whether or not they come in 2020, or they come in 2021, or they come in 25 years, what do we do? We trust and we wait. We acknowledge there's more walking in our story, there's more trusting. There may be some more struggles, but in faith, we wait. We expect the unexpected. In the junk of 2020 and the struggles of 2021, we still expect the unexpected, that God's bold pronouncements are going to come into our lives. That's important because if we move away from trusting, the journey goes wonky, goes off the course, and we could end up in the wrong place. I mean, here's what I mean. I, I say I would use this language. I want to correctly calibrate my journey every day. I need each step of each day to be God-directed. And if I get to the right or to the left of that, if I get ahead or behind of what God is calling me to do, not following his plan, I suspect I'd end up in the wrong place. This will help you understand this. Our nation's space division developed a big project in the latter half of the 1990s, NASA, said, we're going to launch a spaceship, and it's going to go to Mars, and then it, that spaceship is going to launch another one down to the surface. There's going to be communication back and forth, and then back to Earth. And uh, they, were, they were going to look for water on Mars. It was a spectacular endeavor, but flawed from the beginning. Here's why. Lockheed Martin won the contract to build the spaceship. Lockheed Martin, in those days, did all its engineering in using the Imperial system. Namely, inches, feet, yards, miles. Years before that, though, NASA had shifted away from the imperial system to the metric system. Millimeters, centimeters, meters, kilometers. Now, both organizations knew that they were working with different systems, and they thought they would just simply convert each time they came along. And so the Mars Climate Orbiter was launched on December 11, 1998. It was going to take nine months for it to get to Mars. And every day, the scientists at Mission Control issued commands in the metric system with conversions to the imperial system. But sadly, tragically, expensively, it didn't go well. The spaceship didn't always understand. But here's why. The distance between Earth and Mars, depending on the season, is at least 33 million miles which is probably about 50 million kilometers. That's me doing some rough guess in my head. At least 33 million miles to 58 million miles, which is like 82 million kilometers. I'm guessing a little bit around there, but you get the idea quickly. Here's the thought. If you just get a little bit off the mark, now you can't see it, but my fingers are not really touching. They look like they're, now they're touching. If they're off, if I've, if there's just that much difference one day and you extrapolate that over 33 million miles, 50, kilom 50 million kilometers, guess what? That gap gets wider and wider and that's exactly what happened to that Mars orbiter. Oh, they got it to Mars, but they really didn't know how close to Mars it really was. They didn't slow down in time and it literally crashed into the atmosphere of Mars, burned up and there was that. Your tax dollars, my tax dollars at work. It was a lovely show on fire. Fair enough. As part of exploration, I get that. Such a long, expensive journey destroyed because the, 
the calibrations were incorrect. You get where this is going, right? I'm choosing to calibrate my life daily using Jesus Christ, the hope of glory within me, as the measuring mark. I'm choosing for my journey with Jesus Christ to be a long walk, whether it be 25 minutes, 25 days, or 25 years. And I'm choosing to trust God's plan and lean into his promises. I know what they are, not all of them, but I know what many of them are, and I'm going to lean into those, waiting for them to become reality. Because after all, wasn't it Jesus Christ, God's son, who when it comes to making promises, said this. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So in 2020, we know that Christ has walked with us through the work of his Holy Spirit. We know in 21 that's going to be the case. I'll never leave you. Now, it may take you 25 years or more to be able to say he never did leave me. It will, that truth will perhaps only be fully visible as you do what? As you look in the rearview mirror. And so if you think about it, this Advent season, how to manage the upcoming holiday season in the midst of COVID? How, you, how do you deal with the journey called your career or your family or your uneasiness about this or your health, whatever the case may be? You wait for it. You wait for God's promises and you expect the unexpected. Let's pray together. God, I pray for my friends right now. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, by grace, allow them and me to experience your work in our lives. 2020 has already been a year of really strange stuff. Lord, for those of us who've chosen to walk with you in Jesus Christ, we pray that you would bring the unexpected into our lives in ways that are right and true. And for today, we'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow, but for today, we're saying that we will walk with you. And then when tomorrow comes along, we'll choose to walk with you some more. And then the day after that and the day after that, and Lord will quickly come to the point where it's 25 years and we'll be able to look in the rearview mirror and say, you were in the midst of all of that. I pray, Lord, that each person, each person in the building today, each person in Lovington, each person online, that together, each person would know the reality of walking with Jesus Christ. That's essential for us, for this day. Tomorrow's another day, and it'll be essential tomorrow, but we, we want to be like Abraham and go to the place that maybe we've never been to before. But we are making a determination in faith today, waiting for your promises, walking with you this day, in Christ's name, amen.
And the dead rose from there. 